podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and non-sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. Go check them out. I am your host, Philip Slaver. Thank you for joining us for our midweek episode. A very interesting episode that we have. This episode's guest lineup has changed and altered multiple times. And I'm excited about what we have. Tom Hutton, now former Oklahoma State punter, is going to join us here in just a bit, talk about his plans now that his career on the Oklahoma State football team is over. The thing that happened this past weekend regarding Spencer Sanders that made him angry and some insight about the football program. Then, Ryan Nani, you know him as Celebrity Hot Tub on Twitter, the man who used to run Secret Base when SB Nation was in its heyday, the man that you can find pictures of all over the place as the Bloomin' Onion mascot <laughs> at the Outback Bowl. He's here to discuss the impact of the Big 12's 2023 football schedule. We will have plenty of time to break it down team by team and how we rework our power rankings because of it. But I wanted to take a different approach when we talked about the schedule and 2023 Big 12 football for the first time. So Nani's going to join us. We've got a very interesting chat with him. Before we get to all that, a few things we need to do. One, the Big 12 presidents and athletic directors are in DFW right now. Again, meeting on Thursday at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, Grand Hyatt. A lot of things on the table, including discussing Gonzaga's potential membership as a basketball only team in the Big 12. This is a a rumor that's been going around for some while that the Big 12 and Gonzaga might have mutual interest. Dennis Dodd of CBS, the latest reporting what's going on. According to Dennis Dodd in this article on the schools in Gonzaga, the decision is said to be largely up to Coach Mark Few, who has guided the Zags since 1999. The program is currently in the middle of a rights deal with ESPN and CBS that expires in 2026-2027. On the Big 12 end, Yormark has tried to sell his 80s on the concept of a basketball-only member. They have previously seen a presentation regarding Gonzaga's membership, but it didn't include any financial details. Don't be surprised if the 80s has sought to price Gonzaga's inclusion with league media consultant Endeavor. Pardon the cold that has come on in the last 24 hours. There is obviously some mutual interest on the two parts. We will be keeping an eye on this story closely. Obviously, the Pac-12 would be interested in adding Gonzaga if the Big 12 is. Big opportunity to add an absolute Grand Slam marquee name in men's basketball, a power in the sport to the Big 12 and only make the best Men's basketball conference that much better. I was listening to the Eye on College Sports, College Basketball podcast, Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish, noting that, according to Ken Palm, the Big 12 in men's basketball has been the number one conference every year but two since 2013. The two years it wasn't, it was number two. This is obviously something to keep an eye on. People have varying opinions. I would love the idea of having Gonzaga in the Big 12. Obviously, 
Gonzaga would have to figure out where to house the rest of their sports as trying to get their other sports. As they are not a football, they are not a program that plays football. They have no football. Trying to house the rest of their sports in the Big 12 would be very expensive. Though I'm sure the Mountain West wouldn't mind adding them. We'll keep an eye on that. Speaking of men's basketball, let's do our updated hoops power rankings. Why not? Let's do it. New number one this week, the Texas Longhorns. They are alone atop the conference standings, and despite the loss to Tennessee this past weekend, have won their last three Big 12 games and seven of eight in the Big 12 as well. They are 3-1 and one on the road in conference play, one of only two teams with a winning road record. Baylor is the other at 3-2. and two. Now, granted, they haven't played a lot of the other top teams in the conference on the road yet. So, their schedule the rest of the way is very difficult. They've got road games against Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU all still on the schedule, plus a home meeting with Iowa State and with Kansas still to come. Talk about that Kansas State game this Saturday coming up a little bit more here in just a second. In fact, right now, because the team in second place is Kansas State. I know they just lost to Kansas on the road. Lots of teams lose to Kansas on the road, especially a team in Kansas State who is a rival who Kansas is going to take seriously. I'm not going to dock them too much for that one. They have a huge matchup, though, at home this Saturday against Texas. They need to get this win to avoid becoming the seventh team in the Big 12 to suffer a three-game losing streak in conference play. As you recall, obviously they lost at Kansas in the middle of the week. Before that win over Florida, Kansas State lost on the road at Iowa State. So back-to-back road losses, nothing to be ashamed of, but a big game on Saturday against number 10 Texas to decide if Kansas State will join the six other teams Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Kansas, who have suffered a three-game conference losing streak. All right, so I feel pretty good about the top two. It's that three through six that I'm really struggling with. And the three through six don't have themselves separated that much from one and two, but one and two are at least, for the most part, a good one and two. Number three, I struggle with TCU. I do. They're 15th in Ken Palm right now, fourth in the Big 12, 10th in Bart Torvik since December 31st, which is essentially conference play, which is the best in the Big 12, and have the second highest net rating in Big 12 play, according to CBB Analytics. They got a nice win against West Virginia at home, but it was a tight one. Why would that be? Well, because Mike Miles is hurt again. Now, if you're going to have a Mike Miles injury in conference play, a home game against West Virginia and a road game at Oklahoma State's not the worst time to do it. But if he's going to continue to get hurt, it's going to hurt this TCU team. A TCU team that, again, look, they blasted Kansas on the road. They beat Oklahoma soundly before Miles got hurt at Mississippi State. His lingering knee injury is going to be something to keep an eye on as conference play continues. But I do think this is a good TCU team who's about to hit their toughest remaining stretch on the schedule with a road game at Kansas State, a home game against Baylor, and a road game at at Iowa State starting next week. Number four, Iowa State. This is a good team, and I know they are beat up, but they have now blown leads of 23 and 17 in their last two conference road games and got blasted on the road at Missouri. Iowa State is 2-5 on the road this season, including 2-3 in Big 12 play. By the way, their defense is starting to slip. We've talked about it. It's the best defense in the Big 12. The best defense in conference. Well, according to our friends at CBB Analytics, 
as of today in conference play, their defensive rating has them third in the Big 12. Not by a lot, but third. TCU with a ranking of 105th, Oklahoma State 107th, Iowa State 113th. If you go to Bart Torvik, Oklahoma State and TCUs are ranked higher than Iowa State's now since the start of conference play. If you go to Ken Palm for the season and go to adjusted defense, Oklahoma State is ahead of theirs. TCU is one spot behind. So Iowa State's defense is starting to slip. It is something to keep an eye on for Iowa State as the season progresses. I, I, This is a good team. I don't think they're winning the Big 12. Number five, Baylor. The Bears' six-game win streak, including five straight and conference play, came to an end on Monday. I'm not going to hold a loss at Texas against them. They played a hell of a game against Arkansas just two days before. You could tell by the end of this game, through a lot of this game, especially the second half, Baylor was just gassed. They were gassed. It doesn't help that their defense is already bad. Look, it is bad. And while I think I might have Baylor a spot too low here, that defense is the reason. In conference play, according to CBBA Analytics, they have the worst defense. Their defensive rating is 114.2. It's ranked 357th in the country. Since the start of conference play, according to Bart Torvik, their defense ranks 116th, by far the worst in the conference. However, they have the best offense. They do. They still do. But that defense is a problem. When they're tired, they can't get enough stops. Number six, Kansas. The two wins over Kansas State and Kentucky were nice. I'm just not ready to move them up yet. I need more. I do. I need a little bit more from Kansas. They've got a big opportunity this weekend. Road game in Iowa State. Big opportunity. It's an Iowa State team who coming off an embarrassing loss to Texas Tech. Is not, it's not what I want to have to go and face Iowa State in Ames. Number seven, I'm moving West Virginia up. I don't know what it is about this team. Everything says they should be better, yet they only have two conference wins. Maybe it's the fact that, according to CBB Analytics, West Virginia is the second-best first-half team in the conference and ranked 23rd nationally. Problem is the second half. They're the second-worst second-half team in the conference and ranked 153rd nationally in that rating. That might be an indicator of what the problem is for West Virginia this season. Number eight, Oklahoma State. They're the opposite of Baylor. A good defense and a bad offense. 142nd, an adjusted offense, according to Bart Torvik, since the beginning of the season. Hell, if you go to just since January 1st, it's ranked 100 or 223rd. However, this is one of the two best defenses in the Big 12. And since February 16th, the last two and a half weeks, this Oklahoma State offense, according to Bart Torvik, is ranked 78th. That's a big jump. This is an offense that is playing better. It is an improving offense. I've got Oklahoma at 9. Why do I have Oklahoma at 9? Because they're not 10th, because that's Texas Tech. I understand Texas Tech got a win over Iowa State at home. It was an incredible game. It was absolutely wild. I can't believe they overcame a second-half 23-point deficit to get an overtime win. They did. It was wild and crazy. It's one of the weirdest games in the Big 12. That's what happens when you play in the Big 12. So why is Oklahoma 9? Because there's none as bad as Texas Tech. That's about it. Someone's got to be ninth, And right now it's Oklahoma. All right. Two great guests. Tom Hutton, former Oklahoma State punter. Ryan Nani, talking Big 12 schedules. Let's get to it. Hey, this is Jamie Steyer-Johnson, host of the Cyclone Family Podcast. 
I host a show with my brother, Eric Steyer, and the two of us were raised in the ISU athletic department, as my mom has coached women's basketball for over 20 years. Our involvement didn't stop there, and I've been a radio analyst for Cyclone Women's Basketball since 2019, and Eric spent his 2018 to 2022 years as a walk-on on the men's side. We get together each week to talk about what's happening in the world of Cyclone sports, whether that be current seasons, former players, or whatever else we find to be of interest. We'd love to have you join us. The Cyclone Family Podcast. When you listen, your family. Do you think Olive Garden can sue me for that? When you get the opportunity to uh, to bring someone on the show uh, with what I would argue is uh, some of the best sports comedic chops, as as this guest does, you uh, you take it and and you you worry about the uh, the topic to discuss later. Uh, very excited to have uh, one part of the shutdown forecast, the man uh, who many know as the Bloomin' Onion at the Outback Bowl, uh, and one of the best members of the uh, the glory days of SB Nation, Ryan Nani joining the show today. Ryan, welcome to the 1012 podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I think I think that about covers it. I probably, you know, I don't know that that'll all fit on a headstone one day, but I got time to figure that out. So it's all right. Uh, that's the, can you make like a trifle business card? Like that, that seems, <laughs> it just folds down and it keeps having yes. a new title yes. each time. And people will be like, None of this makes any sense. And it's like, don't worry about it. Just take the card and move on. It just, it gets weirder and weirder the further you go down. Yes. And you're like, okay, yes. well, if nothing else, I was entertained. Yes. Um, you put a call out on Twitter saying that one of your goals with 23 was to go on as many podcasts as a guest as possible. And like I said, it was great. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to save this email and I'll worry about what we're going to talk about later. <laughs> Obviously, the Big 12 schedule has been released, and I know yeah. everyone's breaking it down. Our shows and our network are doing a great job of breaking you know, feels like 45's got Oklahoma State, uh, Scott Holman's got Houston. So if you want your your sports-specific, 1012network.com, go check out the show, and they're going to do a good job. And we will, we will dissect this um, and take a, a scalpel to it. But for today, I want to be less surgical and more holistic um, in, in our view of this. And just because like, I, I've, been, I've been banging the drum for a while that, and especially since the, the momentum has built for Oklahoma and Texas actually leaving a year early, that 2023, the Big 12 football season is going to be unlike anything else. And Ryan, you've, you've been in and around college football for a very long time. So I'm, I'm going to let start off with allowing you to share some expertise. I know the Big East went through some wild stuff in its yep. final years. The team's coming and going. Its final season as a football conference was obviously a very unique situation. Yeah, we've yep. got TC, TCU joining the Big East, <laughs> never playing a single game before they left. That was a great one. TCU, the Big Twelve, uh, Big East, and Big Twelve always connected forever and ever. Thanks to TCU, uh-huh. yep. uh, uh, valued members TCU in West Virginia. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, how do we compare what's about to go down? Because I'm at the point where I believe Oklahoma and Texas are going to leave a year early. There's yeah. a reason we got a 23 schedule and not a 23 and, a 24. and 24 schedule, which was the right. original plan. Like, how do we, is there something you think that fairly compares to what we're about to, to, to see in the big 12 this, this coming fall? So, so you, you gave me the heads up on this, which I appreciate. And I did a little digging and I truly think the answer is no, because the big East is an interesting comparison, but even when the big East had schools leaving schools jumping on I, looking back through the history like some of the plan like one of the plans that they had floated was oh we're going to bump villanova up to fbs and they're going to be a big east football team that obviously didn't happen um there was 
there was, I think, a similar amount of sort of mm, maybe chaos and infighting. One of the best facts about the Big East was they were taking, thinking about taking UCF, but USF's president was like, absolutely not. And it's widely believed that like that decision helped sort of hasten the demise. It's not the only thing, obviously. So I don't think the Big East fits. I don't think the previous departures from the Big 12 fit. I don't think the, uh, I went back and I was like, well, what about like the dissolution of Southwest Conference? Even that doesn't really fit. And I think it's because every time this happens in another conference, it proceeds fairly quickly. Like a school says we're out. And then within like six months, they're gone. Like frequently you'll see it happen where it's like, um, They'll, they'll announce it in October for next year. And then they just figure it out from there. West Virginia maybe had one of the messier exits from the Big East to the Big 12. Lawsuit heavy, this, that, and the other. But even that like got figured out on a timeline. And the fact that you have the rare situation of not just teams leaving, but sort of extending their stay, like a divorce where mom and dad are like, but dad's still going to live here for a couple years while he figures shit out combined with the new schools coming in. None of there's nothing. There really is nothing that you can point to and say like, Oh, this reminds me of that. It just hasn't happened. Dad and stepdad in the house living yes. together. Yes. Mass yes. Hysteria. And, <laughs> yes. And stepdad's best friend from college is living here too, for some reason. <laughs> like it's going to be, it's going to be a weird house. Uh, and I, I hope uh, uncle, uncle OU is in the basement. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. It's just going to be super, super weird. I, and it's not just that, like, this is like, we, again, Texas has to go to Houston. So it's not just that, that new dad and, and old dad are living together. New dad and old dad had a, had a rivalry in college and now they yes. have to coexist they had a dorm room spat. Now they have to coexist and, and right. loathe each other entirely right. in the same right. house for a full season, right. which is the yes. greatest dis- disgrace to possible for, for old dad. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the other thing that makes, I think this different from other departures is that however you feel about these two schools, overrated, underrated, whatever, like losing Texas and Oklahoma is the biggest shift you talk about re, uh, realignment in other places and it's like, oh no, Maryland left or Colorado left or whatever. And it's like, no disrespect to those schools, but that's not the same thing. Even UCLA, USC, that will be a very big change for the Pac-12. But that even that felt like, oh, it's USC and they have to bring their brother. Like they have to sort of like tag along there. So to see all these things happening at once, and here's the last thing I'll say. Most of the time when this happens, you are watching the death of a conference or at least the demotion of a conference. You are watching sort of like something slowly circle the drain. The Big 12 is in a very interesting situation where obviously there's a lot of upheaval and a lot of question marks. But with what happened in the league last year and and really the last few years and with the teams that they are bringing in, it's sort of a like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. It's not a, it doesn't feel as assured that like the big 12 is on the way out as much as it did when this move was first announced. Things have changed, I think, in a pretty drastic way since then. 
Yes, the the demise of the Big Twelve, I believe, was uh, was greatly exaggerated by yes. by many across in in national media and across. Uh, and, and you know, a, a funny thing about that, I almost think that that the I don't want to say excitement around that, but the way it was talked about for a full year when OU and Texas announced they were leaving has only strengthened and emboldened the Big 12 fan bases. Like, look, Iowa State has always been the most online fan base in the Big 12. I understand Texas fans. That's great. <laughs> I was, my, my running gag is if you put Iowa State in a poll for the best college baseball program in the country, Iowa State would win it. The punchline is Iowa State doesn't have college baseball. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. Iowa State would win that poll. But now, like, Texas Tech and Kansas State have, like, risen up those fan bases to become even more. Like, I don't know how much you pay attention, but, like, the UCF Iowa State fan bases are currently learning about each other and have started okay. quite a quite a, a strong Twitter tiff at the moment. Cyclone Larry has gotten involved. It's, it is something what? to behold. What are they fighting about? <laughs> Nothing. Just okay. Just just the it, it is just two fan bases who have found someone new, who will who will spar with them. Like I, okay, I, I'm going on a UCF pod and like I made the comment. I was like, "Welcome to the big league." And like we've been dealing with Florida and Florida State. And I'm like, "No, no, 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 not not side quests." Okay, the main thing, the main thing. Now you're you're not. This is this is the Yankee Stadium on Sunday night, not a Tuesday afternoon in Albuquerque. Like, right, right. Those right. those schools may spat with you. You're now entering a zone of people who are going to be there every day for eternity. You're yeah. used to big fights for a short period of time. And I'm, as as someone who is online, because obviously you have to be able to do this, like I am, I am thrilled to welcome one of the most uh, loud fan bases in college football who's just been itching for anyone to come at them. Yes. And welcome UCF to the fall to face off against Texas Tech, Kansas State, and Iowa State, and who can be more online. It's good. I mean, it's the difference UCF and what they have had in the past with the other Florida schools specifically is the difference between like, whenever I go on vacation, there's this one dude I don't like, and there's a neighbor I hate. Like, that's what's changed now is, is I think you're absolutely right. These are fan bases. Iowa State's a great example that are going to think about you and dislike you all year long. It's not just like the month that you play. It's not just like the week that you're a will they or won't they schedule each other is in the news. It's just going to be forever. It's great. No, it's, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Um, all right. But to that point, like one of the reasons that this four schools got picked up, we've talked about it. Like they've talked about how, how these are schools that are committed to football, but I mean, it's the same thing. I am excited to welcome in four fan bases to the Big 12 that I believe really lives and breathes their team and their sports and football in the same way that the Big 12 programs do. Um, and I, I think that's something that, that UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati fans, like they know that, but they don't think they understand what that's really like until they get here. And it's just and no, no shot at other fan bases in the AAC, but Y'all ain't like that. I would comp the AAC as much to the ACC. Like there's Clemson and Florida State and Miami, and then there's a lot of other programs that play football. AAC similar. Big Twelve is yes, this is a basketball conference, and <laughs> good luck to the programs that aren't really good. <clears throat> UCF, um, but like this is all, this is the whole point of like this is another league, both as a positive and, and, and a negative to what you're used to dealing with. So I think that's true. I also think you have the maybe the four Boise State at one point was this I don't know if that's still true but maybe the four 
schools and fan bases that are the most ready for this because they have lived miniature versions of this. Cincinnati obviously lives in Ohio State's shadow. Like no matter what they do, the state of Ohio in terms of who they care about is going to be Buckeyes probably for the next 50 years conservatively. Like that's not going to change. It doesn't matter how good Cincinnati has been, will be like they are, they are used to, it's, it's an interesting situation where they are little brother in a state where they most of the time don't play big brother. They have a couple times, but it doesn't usually happen. BYU and Utah have like, as much as, as much as, you know, we think like, oh, this is, this is different. BYU and Utah, I think like rises to the level of, at least in this game, this gives you a flavor of what you are getting in for. This has prepared you mentally. And BYU has the advantage, I think also of, because they were for years, the independent barnstormer, like they're flexible with who they're going to root against and who they're going to hate. They've had to be because they're like, who do we hate? We hate Mississippi State this year because they're on the schedule. We hate Michigan State this year because they're on the schedule. We're playing three Pac-12 teams this year. We hate all of them. Like, And, and then I think Houston, UCF we already talked about a bit, but Houston, like you've said, like the fact that it's a bit of a homecoming from like way back when, the fact that they're already in Texas, the fact that there is some recent history it's non-conference and that's not going to be the case anymore uh between houston and some of these schools like it is a change i am not worried that they are not ready for it i am i am fully prepared for them to let me put it this way i don't think any of these four programs are going to feel grateful to be here i think i don't think they're just happy to be nominated i think they will all come in with a real like no we're just as good as you and we're doing as much as you've done us a favor, we've done you one too. Whether or not you believe that, I think that will be the attitude. So that leads me to an interesting question. Um, obviously, the schedule's out. We're all going to do way too early rankings because yeah. clicks, folks. That's just the way the business is. Yeah. I'm having a hard time nowadays figuring out how to use history in college football to talk about now. Um, you look at when TCU and West Virginia first joined the Big 12. It, it took TCU three years to to get there. And the year two get, for both of yep. them and West Virginia were five and seven. You look at Utah in their first few years in the Pac-12. Sure. Yes, they're awesome now, but it took them some time. Um, compared to what they were doing. I even look at when Louisville joined the ACC. Yes, they still had like eight, five, nine, four, eight, five. But they were coming off of like 12 win seasons. Right. But how do I... So in theory, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, Yes, you play Power 5 teams. Now you're going to do it every week of the season. But you add in the element of the transfer portal that is a, still a relatively new and did not exist when those those teams joined their Power 5 from Mountain West, Big East, so on and so forth. How much do you think that history that we have is actually still relevant in trying to figure out how how quickly these new programs should be successful in the Big 12 when college football today is so drastically different than it was even a decade ago. Um, I agree that it changes things significantly. And, and it's not just for these four teams, obviously it's more relevantly. I think it's for all the teams they're joining up with. You know, you, you look at some of the schools that have had success in the big 12 and writ large in the last couple of years. And like the transfer portal is a big part of that. And what you can and 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 to some extent, it's also you know, retaining 
keeping guys from leaving the transfer portal. Oklahoma State this year, it's like, is the whole roster in the portal? It's so, like, what the hell is happening? So I think that is a an opportunity and a warning in some ways. But largely to your point, it does make the history harder to look at. To the extent that the history is informative, I think maybe we can sort of say, okay, who's coming in with program stability? Like Utah is a really good example. It did take Utah a little bit to get going, but because they sort of knew what they wanted to do and who they wanted, they wanted Whittingham to lead things and they sort of adjusted as they went. I think that put them on a better path. You can swing the other way and sort of say like Maryland, Nebraska, certainly Colorado has been like major upheaval. All these programs sort of made the move and like didn't really have a strong plan. I mean, I know, I think Nebraska assumed like, hey, we're going to go run shit in the Big Ten and just <laughs> didn't work out that way. Um, but I think I think that's the main thing. So, you know, Cincinnati is a really good example right now. It, it is not a great time to lose a coach who had built something and really sustained something. UCF is similarly like early enough in Gus Malzahn's tenure where it's like, maybe this is going to be a thing or maybe in a year and a half, they're just going to be like, no, this isn't working. And so ultimately I think that is the nucleus that will still hold true, even though you're right, the rosters are just going to move around. And the other thing that's going to be different, you know, when a lot of these others, it's not as if transfers didn't happen when these other schools joined other places, but they were much more restrictive. And I think like, I certainly remember the days when, a school would say, all right, you can transfer. Here's the list of schools you're not transferring to. <laughs> and, and it was frequently, you know, uh, people in the conference or in the division or future non-conference opponents that we have in like the next year or two. And now it's like, it's entirely common to be like, yeah, man, they're going, they're going to the same school that you play every year. No. And you can't do anything about it. Which is um, fun. I just like as a fan of a team watching someone go to your uh, like straight up rival, that is uncomfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. On the other hand, <laughs> you know what we 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 are never going to be sad for more storylines in college football. That's right. That's ever, right. That's ever. right. Yes. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna point I'm gonna point out the uh, the first home game for okay. the four newcomers against okay. a current Big Twelve school. Okay. And I want to know which one you are most excited about. Okay. Okay. So a BYU does not get their first home game against a current Big 12. Their first Big 12 home game is Cincinnati. Their first yeah. home game against a current Big 12 school is A legacy Texas. Big 12 school. Yeah. yeah. It's Texas Tech on October 21st. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, UCS first home game against a, a remaining eight or, or OU or soon to be SEC is Baylor on September 30th. Cincinnati will host Oklahoma on September 23rd, and Houston will host TCU on September 16th. I think there's two options here, but I'm curious which one you're just like, okay, if I could, if I'm going to sit down and pay attention to one, go to it, whatever, circle it on the calendar, which one is it for you? Okay, so I think I know the two you're talking about, and I'm going to answer both of them in different ways. I think Houston, TCU is the most interesting in terms of like, what will this season look like? Like it's a good way to sort of say, what does post championship appearance TCU look like? What is Houston going to, like, 
is Houston going to be a real problem its first year in the Big 12? Like, just in terms of what will happen on the field, I think that is the most intriguing one. But because I'm a broken person, I like drama and stress. And so that's why I would pick Oklahoma Cincinnati, because I think that is the perfect mix of Oklahoma fans have done a pretty good job, I will say of staying relatively rational despite having a very unpleasant year. Certainly an unpleasant year for Oklahoma. I think everybody recognizes that they lost a bunch of close games and there are enough sort of things you can point to to say like, well, maybe the record wasn't as, is, is maybe the team is not uh, a reflection of the record and Brett Venables needs a little more time to figure it out, et cetera, et cetera. That said, if they open up conference play next year by going to Cincinnati and losing, like the alarm bells are just going to start ringing, especially because as I sort of already said, this is not Luke fickle, Cincinnati. This is Scott Satterfield, Cincinnati. This is a coach who Louisville was actively trying to get rid of was like begging him to lose the right game so that they could justify firing him and just never happened. And then Cincinnati took him off their hands. The flip side, Cincinnati fans, I think are, of mixed opinion. I like none of them were surprised fickle left. They're not happy that it happened, but they get it. I don't think Scott Satterfield was automatically the choice that they were like, this is who should take over. That said, he has accomplished some things as a head coach. It's not, you know, it's not certainly the worst hire they could have made. And if they beat Oklahoma at home to immediately like, make give you know put their stamp down in the conference that will really change the trajectory of how they feel about him the reason i like that is because that feels like how you set up expectations that won't be sustained later that's what i really love about it just just for how online things will be cincinnati winning that game would be um... message board disaster (laughs) like just shut them down like lock them now don't let new comments because it will, it'll be terrible. It'll be because the other thing is, you know, if Cincinnati beats Oklahoma, it's not going to be like, Oh man, what a like back and forth, exciting, you know, well-played game that like came down to who, who had the ball last. It will 100% be like, boy, Oklahoma turned the ball over three times and kicked field goals in the red zone and gave up a punt return. It'll be all stupid shit. It'll all be stupid shit. I don't think we have hammered enough, hard enough, often enough, the fact that Dana Holgerson cannot escape the Big 12. He, he's <laughs> Oklahoma State's <laughs> offensive coordinator for a year, yep. goes off to West Virginia, becomes the head coach through however means that became a thing, yep. uh, and then West Virginia gets brought into the Big 12. He leaves West Virginia to go to Houston. And now Houston's coming in the Big 12. So wherever West, wherever Dana Holgerson ends up next after Houston, expect within three to four years for them to become a Big 12 program. Yes, yes, so, that is the long play. Uh, if yeah. we could ship him to Tulane or one of the Arizona schools, those would all yeah. be uh, excellent additions to the conference. I'm all for New Orleans or uh, or partying up in, in Phoenix or Tempe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's going to be fun because... I like that Dana. Uh, I like that Dana of the of the schools at this point that are being added. He is like the most stabilizing force, I suspect, at this point, which is kind of a wild thing to say. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm excited to see how this plays out. He'll be he'll be very useful from a press conference perspective, if nothing else. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I mean, we lost Gary, so we lost yep. that personality. We still got Gundy. Yep. Um, yep. I think last year's media days. You know, you lost Herman, who was good for a quote. You got you lost Lincoln, who was good for a quote. Um, we need we need more quotable head coaches at Big Twelve media yeah. days, and and having yeah. Dana back in. And they got to be spread out a little bit. Don't put every, all the good ones on. TCU and OSU are on the same day. It's like, well, just skip day one, go to day two. That's, right, that's right. All the good stuff right, will happen. Right. More personality is good. We got good coaches. We just need a little bit more personality. Although I could sit yeah. and listen to Dave Aranda just read me children's books and talk <laughs> wax poetic about you know his defensive scheme for about three straight hours, and I I, I would I would be a very nice. Time. And he would be happy to do that. Yeah. I suspect. I, I believe he would. Uh, all right. I don't. I still haven't found the words, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyways to wrap this up. Right? How, okay. how do we, how do we describe this upcoming season? Like, just in a nutshell. I mean, how, how do we describe it? What What is a way to say this is my expectation for what I'm about to see, knowing that it's probably going to be both way worse and and way more incredible. So I will. Um, I will borrow from my colleague Stephen Godfrey, who describes the egg bowl and everything that surrounds it as crabs in a bucket. And I think that's absolutely true for the limited rivalry of Ole Miss and Mississippi state. I think that is what this year is going to be like for the entire conference. And I know that like conferences all, you know, want to win and all hate each other and whatever, but the unique circumstance of Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Texas do not want to leave this conference on a sour note. They don't want to like, they, even though they don't want to be there anymore, they would much prefer to, prefer to leave as conference champions than you won eight games. At the same time, everybody else on this list, and, and, and you know, the Big 12 has really deepened in the last couple of years where this is more realistic. They want to get a piece of Oklahoma and Texas on the way out. You combine that with the new schools who... I don't know if they necessarily care because they don't have the personal uh, connection with the Sooners and the Longhorns that the others do, but they have a different impulse, which is that they don't want to show up and be in the basement. They, you know, at least want to prove that they can compete in conference play right away. And so you have all these, you combine that with like, oh man, Kansas isn't an easy win anymore. Iowa State, like maybe you'll beat them, but it's not going to be clean and it's not going to be an, a sure thing. There are there are so few programs that you can look at and say like, well, at least we play them. So I think it's going to be crabs in a bucket where it's just constantly one team pulling one down into the other. And it, it feels like this is going to be the year where the standings and sort of the projection of what the conference championship game is going to look like is just going to change wildly constantly and that's going to be a lot of fun but it's also going to cause a lot of chaos okay i lied i got one more um something we have been tracking here on the show yeah since the big 12 title game came back into existence a new team has made their first appearance every single year you had ou and tcu in year one then you had texas then you had baylor then you had Iowa State, then you had Oklahoma State, and then last you had Kansas State. Obviously, you have some repeats yep. in there. That's fine. But that's yep. six of the yep. ten. Yep. With four new incoming, that means that only Texas Tech, Kansas, West Virginia, 
Uh, and then the, the other four, so seven schools, Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, and BYU, have not been in the Big 12 title game in its current iteration. Mm-hmm. So to keep this streak going, which is not quite the uh, ACC's, was it Coastal, sending a different team, every team <laughs> one year in a row. Nobody can, and, nobody can no. or should be the ACC Coastal. No. So. Even Notre Dame, literally literally sending Notre Dame in the COVID year to send every <laughs> single different team is the greatest accomplishment any conference yeah, has ever achieved. It truly is. But, it truly is. Uh, it, for the Big 12 to keep this ridiculous and streak alive, which of the seven who have not made it, including the four incoming, do yeah. you think is most likely to get to the Big 12 title game this year? Okay, so this is again motivated not by football insight, no. <laughs> uh, but purely by purely by uh, liking to cause trouble. I'm going to pick West Virginia, and here's why: they don't want Neil Brown there anymore, and I think Neil Brown knows that. And the schedule is wretched. They play, I think, both Penn State and Pitt out of conference. They their Big Twelve selection is, you know, not the easiest road to hoe by any stretch. And if some by by some improbable fate, they claw their way into the Big 12 title game with, again, a coach, they're like, we really didn't even want to go into this year with him, but we we are here. We are. I love the the consternation that that's going to create, because I, I don't think that will be enough to get everybody on Neil Brown's side and say, like, yep, 100 percent. He's the guy for the program. But it also has to buy him some time. And existing in that limbo of we don't know, we like we can't fire him, but we don't want to keep him. And combining that with the way West Virginia just is all the time, like that's the stress I want to see put on the system for sure. Given, given the uh, the records of teams the year, not named Oklahoma the year after they made the Big 12 title game, he would make the Big 12 title game, sign another extension, and then immediately <laughs> turn around and go six and six or five. 100%. Which is, which is just like within the realm of West Virginia possibility, no matter what. <laughs> so. uh, Ryan, you have been awesome. This has been great. I really do appreciate your time. Uh, do me a favor. Let everybody know where they can check out uh, what it is that you're working on right now. Sure. Uh, primarily, you can find me at the Shutdown Fullcast, which if you think this was not very college football focused, I pity you if you listen to that podcast. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Celebrity Hot Tub on Twitter. And if you want to have me on your podcast, you can hit me up. Like this is this is within the realm of my comfort, but uh, I've done a hockey podcast. Uh, I have a banking podcast that I'm setting up some time with. Like I'll talk about whatever. I don't have I don't need to be smart on the things that I actually cover and focus on so i definitely don't need to be smart on the things that i have no idea about if you have a podcast focused on outback that would be the restaurant ryan yes to hop yes. on it and talk about blue and onions um, i will be sharing your email to everyone in the network so that uh, ryan will just become uh, the semi face of the 1012 network for yeah me. it'll be it'll be like you know how like on the old tonight show or something where they'd have like oh oh a guest canceled and so here's like martin shorts coming on <laughs> Like that's what I'll be. We're, no, we're just going to turn you into the Matt Damon bit from uh, even better. Oh, from sorry, we're going to get Ryan on the show today. Uh, we ran out of time, and we'll be unable. That's to fine. Time. That's fine. I'm great with that. <laughs> Ryan, again, appreciate your time, man. Thank you, Iowa State fans. You have until Friday, this coming Friday, February 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. God's Time, 
to take advantage of the incredible limited edition collection of Iowa State Apparel at Homefield Apparel. That's the Iowa State Joggers, the fantastic long sleeve Hilton Magic t-shirt, and everything else that they put out for this one-time opportunity. There's a red cursive script cyclone hoodie that is immaculate. Go buy now. Go there now. Go buy it before they're gone. If you're listening to this afterwards, don't worry. Homefield Apparel has incredible collections for every school in the Big 12. The 15 schools are a part of more than the 100 programs they've got incredible vintage apparel for. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, in some cases joggers, and folks, they're going to start adding quarter zips, and that is my apparel love language. So I am thrilled and excited and ecstatic. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, and get 15% off your first order. You're not going to buy one thing. That promo code is going to help. This stuff is terrible. So be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel this college basketball, baseball, and softball season. And a reminder, Iowa State fans, this Friday, that limited edition collection goes away. So go shop now. Do you love the Big 12 Conference? Do you love college basketball? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. So come on over to the Midwest Madness Podcast, powered by the 1012 Network, where I, Robbie Triano of SiriusXM, talk all things men's basketball in the Big 12 Conference. Whether it's breaking down the biggest games, interviews with some of the best people covering the league, or discussing which teams will make the big dance, make the Midwest Madness Podcast your bi-weekly listen, because the best way to prepare for March Madness is to listen to the Midwest Madness. His time has come to an end with the Oklahoma State football program, uh, and what a time it was. Very excited to have now former Oklahoma State punter uh, Tom Hutton on the podcast. Tom, welcome to the 1012, sir. Thanks a lot. It's good to be back on. Uh, yeah, so this is a little bit uh, interesting. You, When you first signed with Oklahoma State, I was still writing uh, for Cowboys Ride for Free, the now defunct SB Nation OSU site, and, and and you and I did a little interview for it. So it's nice to have a little book in here right before your, your career starts and right after your career at Oklahoma State has ended. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I think you were the first person I spoke to. And then I'm sure you won't be the last, but um, one of the last at least. <laughs> So let's talk about you know your time at Oklahoma State. Um, obviously, uh, ended a, a little bit abruptly. You had the uh, the season-ending injury, so you weren't able to, to finish off the last few games in the bowl game there for Oklahoma State. And then you, of course, announced that, uh, that you would be retiring uh, and not using your, your COVID year of eligibility at OSU. Was uh, Let's just look back at the time in Stillwater. I mean, obviously, going back to the day you decided to come to Oklahoma, um, how do you kind of view things now compared to your expectations when you when you first showed up? I, I honestly didn't have much of an expectation. Um, I just thought it would be a really cool experience. We came to Stillwater for the visit, and um, it was it kind of blew me away. I didn't have much of a gauge for how how big college football was and how big of a program Oklahoma State was. So that visit got me super excited to come over here and then it just kept getting better and better to be honest that the experience and the once the season started traveling to games you know just the whole thing kind of felt like I was in living a bit of a dream bit of a fantasy life um and then um yeah that was I was pretty much just riding on a high for a for a while there and um 
obviously COVID in the middle was uh, a bit of a down point. My wife and I got stuck over here for sorry. the dog's going off. <laughs> she didn't like COVID either. Um, but so COVID put a yeah a bit of a stop to all of that. We, my wife and I got stuck over here for you know pretty much two years, and we we couldn't go home. We couldn't have family come here, so that was a bit rough. But then, um, to be honest, being in Oklahoma throughout COVID was probably a blessing in disguise because if we had been back home we would have been locked in the house for you know like 20 hours a day or something like that and not able to to do anything anyway so um although we were stuck away from family and friends it was um it wasn't the worst thing in the world and then um yeah the last the last couple of seasons have been wild obviously the high with um 2021 and the fiesta bowl and um that season that we had was just unbelievable and then um last year starting the way that we that we left off um 2021 and then all kind of came crashing down and um well it came crashing down for me personally in kansas state game and i think for the team too it kind of spiraled out of control a little bit from there how are you uh how are you going as far as recovering from uh, from the leg injury you uh, you suffered that uh tackling a returner as i recall making a valiant a valiant tackle to, I mean, to prevent a touchdown yeah well I don't know. Looking back on that, I probably should have just let him go. It was we were down by forty-one points. I should have just let him go and played out the rest of my career. But I think the um, competitive juices came, took over, and I tried to make a tackle, and it, yeah, it wasn't the best idea. But, but now the recovery is going really well. I um I had to be on crutches for all in all, it was about eight weeks, um, which sucked. But um my meniscus and obviously had the ACL repair, but my meniscus was pretty messed up as well. So they had to repair that and I had to stay off it for um, six weeks after surgery. And um, I got it off crutches the week of the bowl game and um, yeah, been, been doing really well ever since. So you obviously chose not to use your, your COVID year of eligibility. Uh, you'll graduate this May from Oklahoma state. What's your, what's your degree in? Construction engineering technology. So are you and the wife heading back to Australia full time or are you going to stay around around Oklahoma? Yeah, so I graduate in May and then um, we fly the dogs back to Australia in the end of May and then we fly back just after them. So, um, yeah, first week of June, I think we'll be we'll be heading back to Australia for good. Are you looking forward to, to permanently relocating back uh, back to Australia? Yeah, I was, I was saying it, Kelsey, my wife, the other day, it's probably for the middle two years of my career, I was just... I couldn't wait to move back. Not that there was anything wrong with here. I was just missing home and um, just really looking forward to moving back. But now that it's kind of coming up, it's getting closer and closer. I'm seeing things that I'm going to miss about Stillwater, especially a lot of the people, the friends that I've made. And um, yeah, just the the lifestyle over here. I think I'm going to miss it more than I, more than I realize. Uh, you can head back and, and, uh, get everybody to be super excited about American college football when you do. Yeah. Well, it's actually, uh, afternoon and night games are, are good to watch back home because it's you know, I get up on a Sunday morning, early on a Sunday morning, go get a coffee, come back, sit on the couch and watch college football. It's usually on about, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning to a, a night game will be at like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's it's pretty good. It has my Sunday set. <laughs> so uh, no 11 a.m. kickoff central time for you. Got no, it. All right. No. <laughs> 
So looking looking at your time here at Oklahoma State, I mean, you, you mentioned it, some of the relationships that you've formed. Obviously, you've got quite a few of those. What what do you think you're going to miss the most about about Oklahoma, the U.S., uh, Stillwater? Uh, like I said, the, just the people. Um, we had family and friends come over, or well, family this year. Nearly every game we had family because they were finally able to come. So, and every one of them said they just couldn't believe how nice everyone was here, how polite, and how um, everyone wanted to ask about you and where you're from and learn about your life. Um, and uh, people say that about when they go to Australia too, but it's just on a different level here. People are so polite and um, just go out of their way to help you out, which um, I'm, I'm going to miss that. Also, obviously, the friends I've made. Um, you know, we've my wife and I've been in weddings and stuff since we've been here. Um, we've made really, really close friends, so we're trying to get those our friends to come over and visit us in Australia. But um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask a bit about Oklahoma State special teams. Obviously, you being a punter, it it seemed like a unique situation. Oklahoma State, one of the programs that doesn't have a a designated special teams coordinator as a a coaching role. Obviously, Mike Gundy's kind of handled special teams as well as some analysts that you guys have had on staff kind of walk me through what, how is that unit kind of run from the coaching side? So at the moment we've got, um, well, I assume it's the same this year, but we have uh, the coach Gundy kind of oversees it all. Um, But then we've got the special teams analyst uh, and each unit. So punt, 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 return, kickoff, kickoff, return, all have a different coach. Uh, so one of the line coaches, so Coach Hammerschmidt, that um, was the punt coach. Coach McIndoo was punt return. Um, coach Was was kickoff return, and Coach Duffy was kickoff. So they all really coach it. The special teams analyst oversees all that and sort of comes up with the um, the plans for the week um, in conjunction with the the actual coaches, and then. Coach Gundy oversees that when we actually run through it at practice. So that's interesting to have a different position coach handle a different unit of special teams. I mean, obviously it works for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State I thought it did a good part last year and last couple of years. How is it having that many different people, that many, let's just say cooks in the kitchen, involved in, in one kind of unit on the field? Yeah, see, it's for specialists, it's probably not too bad because I just deal with one coach really. Um, I just, Coach Hammerschmidt was the one that did punt and all I did was punt. So, and you know, the same for Logan or Tanner with um, kickoff and uh, yeah, so it's, it's not too bad for us, I guess, for the other positions, it might be a little bit different, but um, they all, it's all, it's a really collaborative effort with all, all the coaches. And when we have our special teams meeting, all of the coaches sit in for all of the units. Um, so everyone knows, it probably works pretty well because you've got a bigger group of people that uh, have eyes on what's going on. Um, but then there's kind of just one voice for each unit. Uh, you obviously went to uh, the uh, the kicking camp in Australia. It's become quite famous, put a lot of guys over in the U.S. as, as, as punters and kickers. Uh, what was the transition like going from from what they taught you there to what you did once you arrived in the U.S.? How, how seamless is that process? Or was there a, a bit of a variance between there and here? Um, so a lot of what they teach you there, they teach a little bit in terms of, um, you know, what happens in a game and that, but there's only so much you can simulate at practice until you actually get into a game and it's happening and you're on the sidelines and there's, you can't hear what's going on. So playing the first few games was took a little 
a bit to get used to just the, the speed of the game and when I had to be ready and on the sidelines and had to figure out when I could warm up on the sidelines, like when was the best time and just figuring all that out. But I think that's that's a bit of a personal preference anyway. Um, so, um, yeah, there was a little bit of a, a transition, but in terms of um, the actual act of catching the ball and kicking the ball, it was that's that'll all remain the same. Uh, I know that there is an, a new Aussie on the uh, joining the team for the upcoming season. Uh, how much how much have you been able to kind of help him get ready and get adjusted for for life in Stillwater? Yeah, it's been good actually. I I said to him the other day that um, I kind of wish when I moved here I had someone like myself that had been here. Just there's so many things that um, I guess people don't realize that you have to set. Like we, you move over here, we don't even have a bank account. We we can't. We have issues setting up a bank account because you don't have a social security number. You can't get a phone because you don't have a social security number. So I had to figure out how to do it without all of that. And um, in the end, it's not too bad, but it was just good. I I think that me and him were actually on the same floor in Oklahoma when he moved over here in, um, a few weeks ago. And then the next day I took him and his girlfriend around to Walmart and um, AT&T and got all that sort of stuff set up. So it was, it was good to, um, to be able to sort of take that burden off him a little bit. That's nice. So, you know, it, it's always good, no matter what you're doing, to have somebody. Uh, this would be Hudson. I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but is it is it CAC? It's CAC. So he, he says it's like Clark, but without the L. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hudson CAC. Um, like, obviously, having somebody, a mentor to help you with that is, is a huge problem. We see that in, in every part of life. I mean... How does that feel for you making, knowing that you've got the kind of the Australian legacy is continuing and you've been able to have your, uh, let's call it footprint on that. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, when I first got over here and even it's funny when we play um, away games and play at places, for instance, like Texas tech where they don't, they don't really kick the end over end punts. Like I kick um, every, every time I punt sort of across the field or something like that, the crowd goes up because it's not spiraling. <laughs> um, I think when I first started with Oklahoma State, the the OSU fans kind of thought the same thing. So I, it took a while for people to get to kind of warm to me and what I was actually trying to do and what I sort of, I guess, specialised in. Um, obviously, it's not the long 60-yard boom and spirals that is, was my specialty. So um, I guess I kind of got the teething... The, the uh the teething process out of the way so Hudson can come in and hopefully the OSU fans understand what he's trying to do if that if that's the style of punter he is you know punting kicking kind of like to some extent offensive lines those position groups that go a little bit unappreciated uh oftentimes we only care when something goes wrong not enough when things go well how have you seen kind of the Oklahoma State fan base uh, its reaction to you both from when you started to to now as you're as you're ending your career yeah it's been it's been crazy um I was after a game uh this year I was talking to Dayton Metcalf who I'm really good friends with he was actually the one of my shield guys when when he was playing a couple of years ago and he was in the stands um so he he was here when I first got here obviously and he he sort of saw all the the hate that I copped on on social media and I'd talk to him about it. And then he was in the stands for one of the games this year and um, I went out to punt and they were chanting, Tom, Tom, Tom. 
<laughs> and he's like, wow, this is this is a lot different to when you first got here. They, they're chanting your name, whereas when we first got here, they were telling you to go back to Australia and you suck and you should never play here again. <laughs> so it's been um it's been really good. Um and just like goes back to what I said before about Stillwater being such a nice um just the people being so nice. Like I get if I go to the basketball or or something, I'll get someone recognize me and stop me and shake my hand and thank me for the for my time here, which is just um unbelievable. I mean it means a whole lot to me. Probably more than than people realise, especially from from where I came from in terms of the reception I was getting. Okay, I have to ask this. Um uh, food in Australia versus the US, there are obviously some some vast differences. Uh what's the one thing food wise you're gonna miss when you go back? Uh, what will I miss? I don't really know. I'm I'm not a big like fast food eater. If I ate a lot of fast food, I'd probably miss something like Whataburger or something like that. But I really don't eat that much fast food. I we my wife and I cook a lot at home, so I actually can't wait to get back to Australia for the food. It's a lot more. If you if you want fast food, you can get something a little healthier. It's a lot more accessible than it is here. There you go. All right. Uh, okay, Tom, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask since we have you here on the show. Uh, obviously, you know everyone has an opinion about what's going on with Oklahoma State football right now. It's been a bit of a season of, of tumult considering had a great start, season kind of went off the rails towards the back end. There's a lot of players who have entered the portal, a lot of guys coming in as well. It's just We've seen a lot of very differing opinions on, on how things are going in Stillwater. I wouldn't dare ask you to say anything you you know you don't want to, but I, I am curious, you know, for for those who maybe have a negative opinion, just what are your thoughts on, or what are they missing or getting wrong about kind of what's going on within the football program right now? Well, I, I wish I could put my finger on it, and like, I guess I can make a lot of money if I could put my finger on that and just stop it straight away. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to say whether there was issues there and having just winning for so long was was covering up the issues and then once we start losing it's that the issues come out um but yeah I don't, again it's it's hard for me to say because as a specialist for one we're we're really not around the team as much as everyone else and we don't don't really know exactly what's going on and then also me being injured as all of this started to fall apart i really wasn't around the team um as much as everyone else was um but yeah I, I don't know it's we had we did have a lot of injuries which um sort of sparked the on on-field collapse a little bit and then um yeah like I said it's hard to say whether whether winning sort of cover-ups a lot of cracks and then once you start losing there's there's finger pointing and stuff which I can't I can't say myself that I saw but um yeah all I know is that um the opinions on Twitter and what you see on Twitter is just so far from the truth most of the time. Like it's, it's hard for me to just sit there and just, just read that stuff and not comment and be like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Just shut up. But um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not that I know exactly what the issues are, but it seems like people that have never been inside the building know the issues and they, they just got no idea. Well, now you're not on the team. I feel like you can if you want to. Gundy won't be coming after you if you say, you know what, you guys are wrong. Cram it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the thing on the weekend with the um, the basketball game and the whole thing with the picture of Spencer and enjoy the leftovers. Like I, 
I didn't enjoy that one bit. You know, Spencer gave up his like blood, sweat, and tears for four, five years here. I don't know how many. I think we would have won probably fifty percent of the games that we actually did win if Spencer wasn't the quarterback. And yeah, he had a few games where he throws a few picks here and there, but the amount of times he's put his body on the line and and got us over the line, like people forget that so quickly, and then to to put something out so disrespectful. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think that was, I didn't think that was true to the Oklahoma State way, um, and I'm sure that was one person that made that. But you know, um, hopefully we don't keep putting things out like that. You obviously spent a good deal of amount of time with Gundy as he was kind of running special teams. I mean, just what is what's your opinion of Gundy as a, as a guy? Set the coaching stuff aside, but just as a person, everyone has their opinions on him as well. Like, what's just your viewpoint on him? Well, honestly, we, I don't know if it's once again because of specialist, but we don't really have that much to do with him face-to-face personally. Um, I had a little bit to do with him this year. Just we were, we were working through a few punt things and um, – him and I would sit in the office and go through different ways that we could do things on punt. And he was, he's, he's actually quite approachable and he'll listen to what you got to say. And um, I think once he got a bit of trust in me, he kind of came to me to say like, what do you think we do here? How do you feel most comfortable? What should you do here? So he is a, he's a, uh, you know, willing to take sort of um, not advice, but you know, he's willing to, to, to talk to his players and find out what's best for them. Um, but like like I said, I can only talk to um, my experience with him. But yeah, he's he's fine to deal with. Tom, obviously, uh, I think at this point the the chanting of your name is accurate. I think most pa- fans at this point are going to remember your time in Stillwater quite fondly and and swear that they were not one of the per- people who wanted you gone after the the very first game of your career. <laughs> uh, so I, I just say, like, enjoy this last semester and your time in Stillwater. Um, and good luck in Australia. And, and I assume we can expect you back for a game or two in your future, uh, back in Stillwater to, to catch the Cowboys. Yeah, for sure. Probably not this year, but um, hopefully <laughs> next next year maybe. Come back for homecoming and stuff like that and hopefully catch up with a few of the guys that I played with. It'll be, it'll be good. But, yeah, I'll, I'll always look back on my time in Stillwater fondly. It's, a, it's like a second home for me. Hey, we've seen college football games played in Australia. Maybe we can get maybe nudge nudge Gundy to get one of those week yeah. zero games against like Rice or something out there. Yeah, yeah, get get him well, in your backyard. Well, everyone talks about when they come to Australia until they have to pay for the ticket, and then all of a sudden no one wants to go to Australia anymore. Uh, having made the trip, it is not cheap. It's awesome. Uh, it's also a very long flight, but it's it uh, it's worth the money and and worth the trip. Tom, again. Uh, as an Oklahoma State fan, thanks for everything you did in Stillwater during your time and career there. I, I know I, I, I too will be one of the ones who remembers it fondly uh, as, as the first Aussie punter and, and hope that you are the beginning of what, uh, what becomes a, a legacy of punters there in Stillwater. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Appreciate you talking to me first and last. <laughs> Podcast Network.